Welcome to Candid Conversations, everyone. What's good with you? First and foremost, shout out to every single person who has listened, liked, commented, and spread the good word about the Candid Conversations podcast. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. You know, nowadays, many of us are using blogs, podcasts, YouTube shows, or even online trainings and workshops to get your messages heard or give your voice a platform, which not only can help you attract and grow your audience, it can help you market and sell your products and services and ultimately position you as a leader, right, in your field. And while there are some amazing opportunities that come with creating your own digital platforms, like getting paying clients, landing landing speaking engagements, even landing your own Netflix show. Listen, I like to speak things into existence around Candid Conversations. You never know. Uh, A few weeks ago, I noticed also that brands like LinkedIn, Amazon, and even Travel and Leisure Magazine are giving influencers their own digital TV show deals. So stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. You have to understand that just like you will protect your tangible products from thieves, you have to protect your intangibles, aka your content, from thieves. And on top of that, you have to also stay ready to make the ask to get paid for the value of things like your content. So I can't say enough about our guest today, attorney Shay M. Lawson. Shay is absolutely amazing. She's a Georgia-based intellectual property attorney. She specializes in brand protection and contract negotiation. I hired uh, Shay last year sometime to help me make sure my contracts were straight for my workshops. She um, is also a member of the board of the Atlanta chapter of the Recording Academy, a.k.a. Grammy people. Uh, And listen, the woman knows what she's talking about because she's closed countless client deals with leading brands like Apple Music, Nike, Under Armour, TV One, Discovery Channel, Pottery Barn, and much, much more. So today's episode, I really hope that you walk away with an understanding of the importance of protecting your smarts via copyrights and trademarks, and also knowing how to communicate your value and stand in your truth of what you bring to the table. So y'all listen and learn and let me know what you think. Hello, Miss Shay Lawson. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for accepting my invite. So tell us about yourself. What makes you feel most alive? Ooh, wait, is that a, a one question or two questions? That's two questions. Listen, she's an attorney, y'all. So she, <laughs> she's going to clarify these questions. Okay, now I'm preparing y'all for setting the tone for today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us about yourself. So I am Shayam Lawson. I am an intellectual property attorney. And what that means in regular talk is that I help people protect the things that they create and I help get them more money in the bank. Um, and this year actually makes 10 years that I have been practicing. I live in Atlanta and I love Jesus and trap music. And <laughs> 
what makes me feel most alive is the sun and the summertime. There is just something about when you wake up at zero dark 30, but it ain't dark because the sun is already out. And then it stays light, like literally forever. In the summertime, you just feel like the good times will never end. Look at God shining on me. And I think that like, yes, summer and sun makes me feel most alive. I love it. I love it. So now why did did you decide to specialize in trademarks, copyrights, and, and contracts? Ooh, okay. So actually, it started out with contracts and then actually backtracked to the trademarks and the copyrights. Um, I knew when I probably got to the middle of law school that I was going to focus in on sports and entertainment. Um, my family is, is heavily involved in the music industry. Um, if I can plug my brother really quickly, he's a songwriter. He actually just, um, he has a single that was just released by 112. It's called Spend It All. Um, and so he's always been in the music industry my whole life. So I've kind of tagged along behind, but had no creative talent myself. Um, and I have always been involved in sports in some way. And so, I really got wrapped into um, courses called uh, representing the individual athlete and um, endorsements and the business of baseball and the business of the music industry. So I really fell in love with contracts quickly. But then once I actually started practicing as an attorney, I thought that I wanted to only focus on contracts, but I literally could not negotiate the best deals for my clients because they did not have the underlying ownership rights to a lot of things. And so it's like, whoa, okay, so you don't have the copyright for this? Oh, you don't own the trademark for this? Ooh, the price just went down. Or, oh, we actually can't even do a deal. You don't own this. You cannot (laughs) sell this to someone else because you don't own it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was really that conversation there of realizing that to really help my clients even get to the money, they needed these foundational elements of ownership that are largely wrapped up in intellectual property of trademarks and copyrights. And then how you monetize your ownership is through contracts. And so that is is how my practice has evolved. Hmm. Interesting. So now give us a profile of the types of clients that you work with. So I uh, currently operate as a solo um, small boutique and I represent entertainment professionals. So Grammy award winning platinum music artists, producers, songwriters, engineers. Um, They've done work with everybody from Justin Bieber to Trey Songs and Future and Tamar Braxton. Um, I represent Offset from the Migos. I represent him individually. So, and that's kind of like my music side. And then the second portion of my clients are social media influencers and, um, and that includes online entrepreneurs. And so these are people who have, um, followings anywhere from about a quarter million and up large, uh, largely on, uh, Instagram and YouTube. 
Perfect. And so let me tell you a quick story. I found Shay, I was lovingly stalking her about a year or so ago. Lovingly stalking. About a year or so ago on the gram, okay? And she was producing, like she produces a lot of content. Y'all better get your life and go on over to shaymlawson.com. That's the website, right? Yes. Right? Um, She produces a, a lot of content on protecting your smarts. And it was really it was beyond fluff. Y'all know I'm a no fluff type of girl. It was very actionable. So I want to shift to um, protecting your smarts, aka the content that you produce to share your ideas, because I do feel like, you know, nowadays you can be an employee working a nine to five, but then you want to produce a YouTube show or a blog or, you know, a podcast or a series of training like myself, right? Um, and then next thing you know, you have a company or a major brand reach out to you like, hey, we would love for you to do a training or we would love for you to speak or we want to put you on our platform and give you a show. So <laughs> I want to hear from you, Shay. What are some of the simple things or simple mistakes that most of us are making when we get into creating content and putting it out there to share it with the world? Oh, man, I think the number one mistake, and I think I told you this uh, one time before, is thinking that your stuff will get stolen. (laughs) It somehow never crosses the mind of creators that their things will be stolen. I think there's so much focus on um, putting something out there, worrying about if people will want to buy it or if this will gain traction or be successful, that somehow it completely misses their purview that this could be stolen. So I'd say that that's the number one thing is, is, not considering how shady uh, people are and how easy it is to copy things, especially on the internet. Um, so I think that's number one. I think also number two is the biggest mistakes that I see is uh, people spending money on the sexy things like graphic design and a beautiful website and beautiful logos and this beautiful marketing campaign. And you're not spending money on the things that will protect you and inherently give you value like your copyright or your trademark. And now when you've spent all this money on making something really sexy and really nice and somebody snatches it, (laughs) this B Simone book, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and somebody snatches it and makes a meal off of you, you have no repercussions, but to complain on the internet because you, you never filed your copyrights. You have no legal standing in court. So somebody made a bag off of your back. And because you spent your money on the sexy stuff, instead of on the things that were protected, you, you're left in the dust. So how early in the process should you, because I think a lot of the times you think I'm just putting out this content and, and I'm helping people and you don't really understand the value of it. And like me, you'd think that people wouldn't have the nerve to do that, but they do. So how early in the process should everything be like, how early in the process should we copyright and Um, So I would say uh, a copyright and a trademark, the timing is going to be different. As it relates to copyright, copywriting is something that you can absolutely do yourself. You can go register your copyright at copyright.gov. It is very user-friendly. If you get confused, they have videos. They have like these little 
infographics that walk you through the process. It's really cheap. It's 65 bucks. <laughs> so um, filing a copyright is something you should do immediately. The moment that you decide that you are going to publish something for the world to see, uh, go ahead and register your copyright. So um, when you talk about register, are you registering, like, say, if it's a website or are you registering the piece of content in itself? So it depends. So that's a really good question. And this is also a great place for me to put my disclaimer that although I am a lawyer, I am not your lawyer if you are listening to this. So although this is legal information, this is not individualized legal advice for every situation. And you should not act upon any information contained within without first consulting an attorney licensed in your state and familiar with your specific circumstance. Now that that's out the way. Yes, let's, <laughs> let's get into it. Y'all heard oh. that, right? Don't let me have to do a rewind. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, go ahead. <laughs> now that that's out the way, so it really depends. So copyright protects creative works. And sometimes the creative work, if you are a web designer, then the website is your creative work. And you do want to go ahead and register the copyright for that. However, if you are a blogger or a writer or something like that, then you you probably don't own the website because somebody else designed it for you or you're using a template. And so you own the content, the actual written piece or the pictures and everything that you put together for the blog post. And so in that scenario, you will be registering your actual content itself, which is the blog post. I love it. Thanks for clarifying that. So quick story, y'all, you know, I feel like this was I was passionate about having Shay come on because I had my little own personal experience. As you guys know, I deliver loads and loads of workshops, particularly corporate workshops. And so I learned about a year ago that a company that I created the content for and I delivered this beautiful, amazing workshop and everyone loved it. Well, they folded my content. They resold my content as part of their larger leadership um, program and an an, an employee actually, you know, we talked on the phone and she was like, girl, you know, they're using your stuff all over. And I was like, what? They can't do that. But truthfully, I did not, I didn't make it known. I didn't have that in my contract. So I reached out and I hired Shay to put together some contracts and disclaimers and things of that sort so that I could protect myself. And would you say to Shay that that is a common mistake that people have to get their hands burned first and then they realize they need the attorney? Yeah, definitely. I think people will Google themselves to death, right? And so um, not taking away from how smart anybody is, right? Because I think we're all brilliant in our own right. And if you have successfully built a business with value, then that that is just a clear demonstration of your brilliance. But just because you are good at business does not mean that you've passed the bar. And... <laughs> And so people tend to say, well, I, I started my business by myself. I'm smart in this and that. I, I can, you know, use this thing off of Google. I can pull this template. I, this has everything. I understood what was written here. And so it's not until people realize that it's not what you know, it's what you don't know that harms you in business that people tend to come around and talk to lawyers. And that is 
what being a good lawyer is about is that we think of the loopholes. We think about the different ways. When we started the podcast and I said, well, is that one question or two? Because if it was one question, that would have changed my response, right? And so we literally look at every single sentence, every single word like that, so that we can help protect what you have. If somebody gives you a contract, another mistake number three, I see people make is that when you enter into an agreement with somebody, they send you the contract in PDF. That is a clear sign that they're saying, I want you to sign this as is that you have no option to negotiate because you can't change anything in this PDF. I want you to sign this. That's a a red flag right there. Right. And so you don't know that. And and it's really lawyers that say, okay, this is written in a way that protects the company. I talk about that in um, the podcast, my my episode this week, episode 22, um, where I'm talking about Nick Cannon and Viacom. And um, I correlate it to speaker agreements and things like what you were doing with corporate training, where there's normally small print and speaker agreements or corporate training documents that say, we may reuse, redistribute, copy, print this, you know, for any future use that in exchange for this payment, this is considered a work of hire or you um, assign us a royalty-free license for this in perpetuity. All of that is language for you are giving us ownership for free. You are giving us ownership of the stuff that took you however long to produce um, in exchange for this little check for today. So that means your worksheets, your handouts, if they record you speaking, they can now repackage this and resell it. And those are kind of some of the things that I think, um, entrepreneurs gloss over and don't understand the implications of until it burns them. Right. And even now, so we're in, everyone is doing zoom virtual conferences, right? And so, I even came across a Twitter conversation about people who were uh, participating in a virtual conference per se for free, right? And then the person resold the freebie as part of their upsell, (laughs) right, to a whole new audience. So when you're doing these conferences, should indeed a uh, contract be used, even if you're doing it for free to say that this can't be resold? Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. But once again, you don't think about those things until it happens to you. Yeah. If you are being, think about it. If you're being asked to speak somewhere, if you are being asked to do anything, come give your training, your presentation. um, That means that what you have has value. That's just your decision that you decided not to get paid for. Mm -hmm. And so if something has value because somebody else wants to share the value in your content, you absolutely want to make sure that you are protecting it. And I'm not saying that free is always bad, right? Because it could expose you to wider audiences. There could be a strategic alignment, a relationship that you're looking to build. So everything isn't always about money. But what you don't want is for somebody to take advantage of you, like in the situation you're talking about, where I did this for free. A lot of people were doing things for free in COVID just because they saw struggling 
you know, business owners. I know that I did. I did a few town halls just to talk about how people could pivot online and protect themselves while pivoting online. And um, you don't want somebody to now sell that and you not see anything. But if you gave it up, uh, when we're talking about copyright, the person who makes the video, regardless of who's in the video, is the owner of it. So you and I are on this podcast, you own this podcast content. If one day you decide to do a, a Patreon or, you know, something like that, I agreed to be on this. There is no, I can't come back to you later and be like, hey, where's my check? I see you, you put this behind a paywall. Right. No. So you, you want to think about those things uh, ahead of time. Definitely. Okay. I love that. And I, um, in, on your, you did a blog post. It was uh, four ways to legally protect your, your content. And you talked about the latest, uh, <laughs> I guess I don't want to call it scam tactics, but scam mm-hmm. tactics that people are doing is registering for your costs, kind of for your course, downloading the materials and then asking for their, their money back. Yeah. And so I'm not going to give too much on that post because y'all need to go, you know, read and 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 get your your life together. But you did talk about having a return policy, which I thought was an aha moment because, again, for the in the online space as well, it's kind of easy to just sell things and not think that people would kind of just, you know, want these returns and demand their money back. Scamming is real and especially online where you can so quickly claim, you know, fraud, credit card fraud, you know, I guess people used to do it on the weekend when they would go out and see their account crazy and then claim they didn't (laughs) make any of the charges. And now people are doing that online. And so you definitely want to have all of your ducks in a row. And yeah, definitely. I talk about it um, on that blog post. And then I also have a podcast episode where I talk a little bit more in depth about where all the ducks that you need to get in a row in order to um, successfully defend a dispute against like a MasterCard or a PayPal or an Etsy, because they're going to want to see your receipts. So are you using a platform where you will be able to produce receipts to show, hey, I delivered this on this date or this was my policy or I see somebody um, access this document. I have um, a client who is using a platform and I cannot think of what the name of the platform is. If I remember it, I'll email it to you. Mm -hmm. But whatever the platform is, he can see not just that they opened the document, he can see what pages they looked at and for how long. Wow. On a PDF. So, you know, those are the, you know, those are the receipts. And so you, you also, um, something else that I talk about when you talk about protecting yourself and having a refund policy is that a lot of online entrepreneurs are, uh, relying on testimonials and, and, and client, you know, client referrals. And so if somebody doesn't get the results that somebody else did, um, you know, what is, what is your repercussion there? And I always want to help people protect themselves there where, where you are clearly setting client expectations and all of that language really needs to be in your contract. So if we're talking about contract documents, one, you need to look to see if you're assigning over your ownership rights Two, you know, you need to make sure that your refund, return, you know, guarantee policies, 
you know, are, are in place as well. Okay. Awesome. So let's talk about now, when would you need a trademark? So a trademark is going to be a little bit further down the line when you actually have a brand and what people don't, a lot of entrepreneurs kind of flip flop where it's like, Hey, uh, my business is going to be called this. My product is this, but you know what? I, now I've renamed it this. I, everybody's announcing their relaunch. Hey guys, I've been gone for a while, but I'm excited to relaunch my <laughs> like, right. And so you want to wait to get a trademark when you are solid. You know that this is the brand that you are going to stick with. Um, a lot of times people confuse trademarks with their business name. Um, and that's not always the same thing. So a trademark identifies um, a particular good or a particular service, not necessarily the business that gives it to you. Um, and so I think that that is something trademarks are expensive, they're time consuming, but in the long term, it will, woo, when I tell you that payoff, that return on investment is well worth it, but it's definitely something that you should do once you are stable in your brand and you know that you have value in it. Okay. That's really good to know. I see that, that question asked a lot. So now let's say we get to the point we're creating content. Um, our audience is growing because of the value that we're delivering through that content. And now a company um, says, you know, I want you to speak or I want you to develop or deliver a training. In your experience, what steps should we be taking to determine our value? Ooh, Good question. Um, I think a, a question of value is something that everybody struggles with. Um, so if you are listening to this and you consistently struggle with how much you should be charging, you never really feel confident about it. I would tell you, don't worry because everybody <laughs> feels the same way. And even as much as I negotiate um, prices for my clients, I think it's always easier to advocate for somebody else than yourself. Like there are definitely times where I've thought twice about, ooh, should I really be increasing my prices? Ooh, is this, you know, so just know that you're not alone. But the thing that I do both for myself and for my clients, and I would tell anybody to do this either at, at least in, at bare minimum annually, is find the answer to the magic equation. And I talk about that over on um, the blog and on my YouTube. So if you just Google Shay, you know, Shay Lawson magic equation, it'll come up. Um and it's, it's an equation where you are counting your actual tangible, um, just this is how much people in my market are getting paid, right? So the first part is doing your research and knowing for the degrees that I have, the amount of experience that I have. I've been public speaking. I've been doing corporate trainings for three years, four years, four organizations of this size. How much should somebody with my level of experience just be making? And you can go and look up a speakers bureau or go look at um, companies that you kind of want to be like and look to see, you know, what they're charging, but do your underlying research. And then the second thing that you want to do is now count your return on investment. And you want to say, hey, when I do these trainings, this is what happens with my clients. So that allows you to do, a, that requires you to do some additional footwork where you are really backtracking with your clients to even determine if you are an effective speaker, an effective uh, trainer, 
to say what results have my clients gotten um, as a result of my training or after my speaking engagement, X, Y, and Z. And so now you put the two of those together, you have the answer to your magic equation. And so now you can confidently answer when somebody asks you why your price is this way, or you can determine if something is not worth your time. You can say, you know what, um, for the budget that you have, um, I, I cannot personally take on this opportunity just due to, you know, let's just say due to, um, uh, the the level of my experience and and the depth of what I can offer, but I do know this person who probably more closely aligns with where you are. Or if you say, "Hey, I really want to take this on, but I actually need to be here," you know, because I know that I offer X, Y, Z, and P, and that's what creates the value in the investment for you. And so, what you want to do in finding your worth is having those two things. You never want to out outprice yourself, right? And that's how you. That's why you do your market research, and then you want to substantiate your prices by understanding what value you actually are creating with your training, with your, you know, speaking framework, whatever it is. And so you put those two together to establish your pricing and then justify and stand behind your pricing and also identify when you just need to go ahead and walk away. Right. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, make the, be prepared to make the ask and also be prepared for the rejection or the no. Yeah. And I wouldn't even, uh, yikes. I'd say, yeah, maybe not even just making the ask because I am a proponent of, um, asking people their budget first. Mm-hmm. I don't just dry, drop my price because sometimes when I do, um, and I talk about this in seven ways to negotiate like a lawyer. And so like I talk about that in the very beginning where I say jump the gun because that might be the moment you realize you might need to up your price. You know, <laughs> you might not know it until somebody hits you with a, well, we were only thinking like a quarter mil. Is that okay? And you're like, oh, I was about to charge you 10000 but since you said it, you know, and so you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of jumping the gun and asking somebody what their budget is. And so now, you know, if a either you need to raise your price and be like, oh, yeah, I could definitely do it for a quarter mil. Um, or if they come in really, really low and you already know your value, then you can you can now decide if you're going to walk away. Is there something um, strategically you can align for? When we're talking about ownership, I talked about this in the kind of Nick Cannon scenario. So unfortunate. Um, Is that like, even if you don't own this thing or somebody can't afford to pay you, especially as a speaker or a trainer, is there some after work that you can do where they can fit you into next quarter's budget? (laughs) Um, Can you, can you get them to lock you in for multiple years so that I know that when the next budget comes around, it'll be worth it. So this is a long-term relationship. Um, If you're speaking at a conference or something like that, when COVID or not even like, even if it's virtual, where the, will there be some opportunity for you to plug something that you do own? Can I drive traffic to my masterclass, to my book, to my paid 
product. So even if you can't pay me what I know that I typically get for this, is there some opportunity for me to make it up through driving traffic to something I do own? I absolutely love those tips. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you play in the entertainment space. Are there any personal or lessons learned that you've had just in understanding how um, opportunity is created uh, and even, you know, value is determined for other people. Because I do believe at times that confidence and making the ask comes from community, right? Just having that access. So do you have any lessons learned that has helped you understand uh, how to become a better negotiator or just recognizing and understanding your value? Um, I think kind of the lessons learned are when you're talking about um, making the ask, um, I think the real ask needs to be with community, with industry peers, within your circle, and sometimes people outside of your circle, in which when I say make the ask within your community, ask people how much they're making, ask people Um, their experience. I'm quick to get on a call with somebody and say, hey, I know that you did a deal with so-and-so in the past. I have a call with them next week. Is there something that I should know? Is there something that would be helpful? Or what was your experience with them? So now you know the tone of which to work in, right? And so you you know how to navigate that space. Well, I need to walk into this space um, with a friendly, upbeat, or do I need to walk into this space like, yo, you run me my bag, you know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, you know, some, sometimes you, you can only get that context by making the ask. The same thing with um, negotiating and getting your value. Um, a lot of times as uh, people of color, we don't get what we are worth, not just because we are black, but, or a woman or young or something like that. It's also because we don't know. We don't know what each other is making. We don't know. People aren't doing that market research to see what their peers are doing. We aren't having those conversations. We're hiding our information because probably because we're afraid we're getting underpaid (laughs) and we're too ashamed to admit it. But it's like if you get in a room and it's like, girl, I did this engagement for a thousand dollars and it's like, what? But they paid me twenty five hundred. What? Well, they gave me five thousand. Now, boom, you have this information and you know how to engage. You know what you should really be charging for. And it's having those conversations. And I know for me, that's something that happened um, when I first joined uh, the Recording Academy. I sit on the board for the Atlanta chapter, the Recording Academy. And after a board meeting, I went out to lunch with a, a group of guys that I'm now very, very close with. And they sat around, if they listen to this podcast, this will be the first time them hearing me relay this story. I won't reveal who's at the table. And so um, they sat around the table and in true music industry things, I was the only woman with a bunch of men. 
And they literally said, hey, what do you have going on? What deals do you have going? And they each went around the table and talked about what they had going on. And that was when that conversation really happened, where it was like, oh, you should really get this uh, person involved or uh, beware of this because this is what happened in my scenario. Might not be what it seems. So like, okay, um, I did that before. Make sure you ask for blank, blank, blank. And that was just like such an empowering moment for me and transparency amongst your community where it's like, wow, we're all, they were having this conversation to see not, not to be nosy and be like, so what you doing? So what you up to, to kind of make that comparison, but to literally see how they could help and like lift each other up. And I think uh, we're at a really unique time where everybody loves to be black. We love all black everything. And so I think this is a great time for us to come together and use that lesson. But even outside of the black community, I am in some very white Facebook groups and um, for lawyers. And I will say that these uh, women, it's mostly women, are very transparent with each other. Like, hey, how much are you paying your paralegal? Um, Who is your accountant? I just lost this amount of money. What should I do? Does somebody have a form that I can? And I um, reached out to an attorney who I really admired her uh, website and how she was doing everything. This is literally at the top of July, close to 4th of July. And and so I'm telling you, I'm not just giving advice. I'm not taking myself. And I, I reached out to her and she was willing to hop on a call with me, white woman. And I was like, hey, I'm interested in doing X, Y, Z, and P. And she was like, Oh, I've done that. Here's my podcast episode on it. Oh, here's my sales sheet. Oh, let me link you to my page for the, like, she just gave it up. And I feel like sometimes in our community, we are afraid of helping each other out or helping other people get to the bag when we're in closely related fields. And I think that when you're talking about negotiating and getting value, number one, you can only get your value when everybody is demanding their value. If there's somebody out there who's still doing the work for $200, but you want to raise the level to a thousand, it's not going to help because your sister over here only taking, you know, peas. And so it helps everybody to rise together when you're demanding your value as a collective unit. And that's so important in creative spaces and entrepreneurial spaces where it's like, you want to do business with us. This is how much it costs. I've seen some, I'm sorry to be ranting, but I've seen so many companies, especially now that Black Lives Matter and you're committed to diversity and diverse voices, that so many companies are now reaching out to Black speakers, Black creators, Black diversity, you know, training people, and they're demanding ridiculous things, but people are so excited for the opportunity to amplify their voice or be connected to this brand that they're not even realizing that the ask is unreasonable. Hey, I need you to do this training next week. Hey, can you do this? We don't really have a budget because we didn't count on this, but would you be willing to do this for exposure? No. If it's important, find the money for it. No, I can't do it for you next week, but because I want to deliver something of value that's not just thrown together and tailored for your business. So I can do it next quarter if you make diversity a priority next quarter (laughs) and not just when it's in the news. And so... Those are the types of things that I just want 
us to get away from as um, as entrepreneurs and as people of color is is um, being afraid to negotiate, being afraid to say no, being afraid to push back and being afraid to share transparently with each other. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I do believe that there's some sort of, you know, we have this mystery around money, particularly when it comes to what we're making, uh, when it comes to, you know, what this person got in a speaking deal or what have you. And I do believe, you know, stories have transformative power, period. And like you said, if I'm in a room and this a woman is like, nah, girl, I got paid $4,000 per person, you know, that's going to change my whole <laughs> you know, trajectory on how I go about doing business. And there is um, so much power and transparency um, and particularly sitting at the table and saying, no, I know I deserve this because you know, you've had those conversations prior to walking in that room. So being prepared to walk in, but also being prepared to walk away, I think um, is the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself. And then along those lines, you're probably helping 20 other people. Right. After that, and you walk away with class. I think there's walking away isn't walking away with your nose in the air. Um, and so you're walking away with class. Just number one, I, I can't do it at this rate. But the example that I gave prior, but here is a referral to somebody who is we all know somebody who's trying to pick our brain, who wants us to kind of be their mentor. There is somebody closely behind us that we can probably refer work that's, you know, that isn't at our budget to them. Um, so number one, you're helping a generation behind you. Number two, you were clear on what your value was and you didn't communicate it in a way that was unprofessional. And I've had this happen before where I had a client that an influencer client that I was negotiating something for. And I said, listen, she just can't do it for, for less than this amount. I'm sorry. We really want to work with you guys. But, you know, unless the budget is there, we're going to have to pass right now. So that was that because the woman, the woman at the agency was like, seriously, this is all we had in the budget. Like, I'm not BSing you. Well, this woman left and went to another agency that did have a budget and circled back to me and was like, hey, I'm at a new agency and they have a budget that's at your client's price. We would still love to, I would still love to, you know, connect her with this campaign. Can we do it? And it's like, boom, yep, for sure. You know, so, and it's only because I, I walked away in a professional manner that still kept that bridge intact for the future opportunity. I love that. You know, that's a, that's a quotable walk away with class. Don't worry. I'm a quote you now. You a lawyer. I'm no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I do believe that it's, it's something to be said when you can say no. However, I do have this option for you or no, I can do it if, XYZ. So thank you for that because I know too, a lot of people are like, well, how do I say no? There are so many people, that's another thing, who just struggle with saying no. Mm -hmm. And so I like that phrase, you know, walk away with class. You can walk away with, <laughs> with class. I think you need to do that with like three ways to walk away with class. Many people listen, okay? Ooh. Now y'all know where it started in the Candy Conversations podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna quote my girl because I don't want no problems, but y'all know what happened here. Listen, that's it. I already got my three points. I'm gonna just pull the transcript from this and copy yes. and paste it to a blog. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Let's make it happen. Shay, I definitely any parting words that you have 
um, for the audience right now, specifically as it relates to protecting your smarts, because I believe now the climate that we're in, you know, like you said, it's kind of, especially when you look at uh, companies needing speakers and things of that sort to talk about diversity and microaggressions and all these other things. Um, any parting words when it comes to protecting yourself before you jump at jump out at these opportunities? Um, I would say that your business is your baby and trust it as such that you would protect your child at all costs. You only want to give your child the best. You would not leave your child unattended with someone you don't know. And when you don't do your research, when you don't negotiate for your value, and when you don't employ a lawyer to check the small print, you are doing all of those things with the baby that you have built with your business. And, and so that, those would be my parting words that treat your, your business, your speaking, you know, your speaking career, your corporate training career, whatever you're doing, how you're telling stories, how you're teaching your frameworks, treat it like a baby, protect it as such, um, demand the same amount of care, not just from um, others, but from yourself and how you prioritize protecting it. I love it. Tell the people how they can get in touch with you or at least lovingly stalk you like I do. (laughs) (laughs) This phrase, lovingly stalk, is such a creep phrase. Um, So you can follow me everywhere online at Shea M. Lawson. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. That is also the website, Shea M. Lawson. I'm also launching um, the Scale Agency to help entrepreneurs like you. So if you have um, a framework, a speaking service, something that you teach other people that makes impact and change and you want to be able to protect it and scale it. I am starting the scale agency in November. It will launch and you can join the wait list in September. So make sure you go to shayandlawson.com and join my mailing list so that you know that when this opens, you will have the opportunity and we can work together. And it goes through all the things that we talked about today from seeing where the loopholes are and what you've been doing, protecting your underlying work with your worksheets and, you know, your frameworks and your actual training itself, doing that hard work of the magic equation to determine your true value and what your strategic alignments are going to be, and then setting you up for success to scale this with confidence, knowing you know how to negotiate, you know how to say no, and you know that you're getting top dollar. Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.